0: Hello everyone. Hope you're doing well today. It's Thursday, November 11th, and tonight is the MMA Ratings podcast. This episode 102. As always, I'm your host Rafael Garcia. Thank you for taking your time to listen to us tonight. you uh, just joined in. Perfect timing, there, sir. How are you doing?
1: Uh, not too bad. Power just went out for a second. <laughs>
0: I don't know what you guys are doing over there, man. Um, try to be safe. What are you doing? Having a bar are you partying that
1: hard? Oh, it's not me, man. I just chilling at home my way in the middle of the street. All the lights are out up and down the street for about two blocks.
0: Well, since Halloween just passed, I'm gonna I'm gonna think that you're probably safer than normal, but let's not let's try not to get killed on air. How about that?
1: Well the ratings might go up though. There might be
0: <laughs> uh, that's a
1: good point. Nobody would call for help. They just would keep on saying, "You got to log on to the show and li- listen to Shawan and run from these people trying to kill them."
0: Yeah, seriously. Nobody would call for help. All right, man. We got a lot to talk about today. It's been quite of a uh, quite a busy week. You know, we're going to talk about what was and then what wasn't with Floyd Mayweather, um, UFC flyweight division, Ben asking and Robbie Lawler. We got quite a bit to talk about tonight.
1: Yeah, there's been a whole. I mean. Pretty much, the MMA world's been turned upside down, then turned back over, then turned back upside down again. It's it's been nuts.
0: Yeah, man, it's definitely been something crazy. So let's go ahead and jump right on into it, man. Let's first um, let's talk about the situation with Floyd Mayweather. Um, you know, I wasn't. I'm not gonna write. I wasn't gonna write about this shit. Uh, just because anything with Floyd, and you got to kind of take at. You got to take it. Not not. you, you got to kind of wait it out. Wait and see what the hell is going to go on. And that's exactly what um, I wanted to do with this situation. On, on, He was supposedly... Okay, so let me back up. Ryzen Fighting announced that he was going to face uh, Tenshin Naka... What's his name? Tenshin Nas- Nasukawa at Ryzen 14 on December 31st. And it was floating all around social media, I think on Sunday... Sunday evening, I noticed it, and I was like, "What the hell is going on?" People were talking about it. People were kind of caught off guard. Everybody's like, "What the hell is this?" Come Monday, everybody ran with him on stories. He's fighting um, Nasukawa, who's 27 and 0 in kickboxing, 4 and on in MMA. We weren't sure what the rule set was going to be. We weren't sure how many rounds it was going to be. What what the situation from the payout was going to be. How was Ryzen affording him, et cetera, et cetera. Whole bunch of questions. So Floyd gets to the United States on Tuesday, I believe it was, and he he releases this long Instagram post about how his fans have been duped. He was never uh, supposed to be in this situation. He thought it was going to be some exhibition bout for wealthy people, et cetera, et cetera. Now, everybody involved looks like folks. I mean, I am at the point where I want nothing to do with Floyd Mayweather's stories until I'm watching him in the ring. Fighting or doing something, but all in all, what did you think about this situation, Sean? Was it just a publicity stunt, or is it just is or is this the state that we've gotten to in MMA where we have to think for a second? Hey, maybe this story, as ridiculous as it is, is actually true.
1: Uh, I didn't know what to think beyond it. I knew a couple people who know Floyd, so I was trying to contact them to find out if this was real. It, it just didn't make very much sense because I was like, well, what are they going to do? Are they going to box? Are they going to kickbox? Like. Why, why would he go to Risen all of a sudden? And to be honest, with him pulling out, it kind of put a damper on things because as much as people talk about they want other organizations outside the UFC or, or in other countries to flourish, nobody really covers them and nobody really gives them the attention or the time or the focus or the money. And Floyd Mayweather doing something with Risen would have been something that could have maybe broken that habit and maybe got more eyes on them and given them more of an opportunity to show what they can do to a wider audience. And so I'm, I'm a little let down by that. I mean, just the fact that he pulled this stunt has gotten them tons of attention, but it would have been good if he could have, some, if he, it just let down, it's, it's disappointing to me because it's just one more time we have a chance to expand the, the horizons of casual fans and hardcore fans and see some of those people who are putting on good shows and giving people jobs and opportunities to perform. And that's going to all go away now because it's it's going to be deemed like a, a, a bit of a fraud or, or, or something that was fake. My question is, how does this affect Floyd moving forward? Because, I mean, even though he did the thing with Connor, he went through with that. To me, this just seems like a really bad look. Like, I don't care how he explains it or what he says, but, I mean, Floyd Mayweather is supposed to be, like, a multi-billionaire boss. Like, how did someone get the drop on you? How did they fool you? How did they put you in this position? You're a guy who doesn't get put what he says. I'm a guy – I don't get put in position. I'm a boss. I say what I want. I do what I want. And then this, this post he's making, it seems like he's saying, well, I didn't have any control of this. I didn't want to cause a scene. I didn't want to cause any trouble. They fooled me and it's like, that doesn't go with your persona. That doesn't go with who you presented yourself as being for the past 10 or 15 years. It's just an nice odd
0: situation all around. Um, on one hand, Ryzen, is, I don't wanna say they should be embarrassed, but they look bad because it's like, hey, you're not big, big time enough to get this fight made. It makes Floyd look like a dope. Like, are you telling me that you guys, you agreed to show up for a press conference for something that didn't really need a press conference for something that was supposed to be secret? Like, we know you're better at business than this, so don't try to sit here and tell us that you got fooled into showing up. And then I want to say the MMA community, especially the media aspect of it, because everybody wants to jump on writing pieces about this, writing writing different hot takes and trying to keep grabbing views, like there, come, there needs to be time where you just stop and wait let's see what's really good especially when it comes to floyd especially when it comes to these situations these click situations let's stop and wait see what is really like and that's not it doesn't necessarily have to be a rush to get the first headline out just so you can get the clicks it needs to be a hey let's stop and make sure the situation is right let's stop and make sure the situation is true and let's get some Hardcore, concrete details, communications, uh, and and quotes from people who are in the know and involved with the situation before we just throw some headline together and throw it up on our website, hoping that people uh, buy in and and click on the link.
1: Well, well that's not the business. But that's not the business MMA's in. I mean, it's still a. I hate to say it, but it's still a niche a, a niche sport. Like like we talked about before, you could be a guy who covers an NBA team, like just a, two regular guys who j- just have interesting takes. And you can make, maybe not a living, but you can make really good money really easily just because you're interested. You can get 100,000 subscribers easy. NFL team, NBA, MLB, is easy. I see tons of guys do podcasts, see tons of guys write little blogs and stuff, and it gets tons of hits. But MMA is not, not that prime time sport. You're trying to get the biggest story you can you're trying to get it out as quick as possible whether it's right or or not you're trying to get as much attention and access as you can because you know that anything less is going to in fact impact your ability to earn money or get attention so it's just the nature of the sport that, that we cover i mean floyd mayweather's not even a, an mma fighter and he's the biggest star in mixed martial arts everything he does is a big story in mixed martial arts and um People are just trying, they're just trying to get ahead. They're just trying to make money. They're just trying to find a way that's going to get them into one of the bigger organizations, maybe covering it or work for one of the bigger sites working for them. And they're going to, they're going to take shortcuts. Nobody has time to get the story right because in getting the story right or telling an important story, you won't get the clicks. You won't get the money. We just had Mike Russell on here. What two, three weeks ago, he's doing great important work and he has the ask for money. But if you put it something that's saying um, McGregor, Beats up somebody in a bar, you getting two, three, four hundred thousand clicks. But you write an interesting story about, you know, finances or fighter health or corruption in MMA. If you get a thousand, you're lucky. So while I don't approve of it, I understand why guys do it the way they do it. So let's
0: keep the uh, conversation going here because one good thing did come out of this situation, and that was the fact that. I want to know more about or, uh, Tenshin Hunt or Attention. Tension Han is a guy from uh, fucking Dragon Ball Z, so I completely miffed on that. But uh, Tenshin, seeing some of his highlights, makes me more interested in him as a fighter. He's only 20 years old. Like I said, he's undefeated. Uh, his amateur record is fucking bonkers. I think he only lost five times. I think it's like 57 and 5. Something ridiculous as an amateur. 27 and 0 in kickboxing, 4 and 0 in MMA. So, Ron, what do you know about this uh, guy? Is he a prospect that we should all be paying attention to?
1: Well, I mean, he's, he's just one of the best kickboxers in, in the world. He's, he's like a prodigy. He's been he's been a national-level karateka, and since he translated over to kickboxing, he's essentially dominated the scene. He's done some mixed martial arts, but basically kickboxing has been what he's done his most of his damages. And pe- most people consider him, if not the pound-for-pound pound best fighter, definitely top three, maybe top five at worst. He's an offensive dynamo, great timing, great distance management, great body control, can throw all the strikes. Has a mean streak, hits hard, hits fast, is durable. I mean, he's he's pretty much the uh, the bar he sets. He's like, I guess, if you wouldn't compare him to boxing, he'd be he'd be um boxing's like Lomachenko. He's just a, a guy who's young in age, but has performed as as well as the veterans and out outperformed most veterans to be quite honest. That's what made the fight with Floyd a little interesting because this wasn't a Conor McGregor who's a world class mixed martial arts striker. This was a guy who even though he's not a boxer, is a world-class striker. And even though Floyd was going to be much bigger, you're talking about a guy who's got world-class speed, world-class timing, to a degree, world-class power. Not saying he would have made the fight super competitive, but this is a guy who, who has credentials that Floyd would have to respect or at least acknowledge.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely interested in seeing more from him. I'm probably going to kind of go back and look up some of his matches to kind of get a better idea of, of who he is think, just kind of be more
1: knowledgeable. Say that again? Sorry already cut you off, but do you think Risen did this on purpose? Because even though they, they're they not going to get the fight, from what I'm understanding, his name and clicks on his fight. That I have a couple of friends. One of my friends, Zach Itama, he covers kickboxing for Combat Press. He's... He In, in America, uh, he's probably one of the lead guys to talk about kickboxing with, and he was telling me the numbers for um, tension, his fights, his workout videos, his training stories on him have shot through the roof. Like People want to know who this guy was. Just mentioning that he might like fight Floyd Mayweather, has this guy trending across multiple social media platforms and had him trending on a bunch of news platforms too, ESPN, Fox Sports, just any possible news spectrum, any possible social media spectrum was talking about this guy. So I mean, in your opinion, do you think that maybe Risen got their money's worth for one of their biggest stars? We'll see. Um I think we gotta
0: wait and see on that. We gotta figure out when his his next match is and kinda get some more information about what's going on there. Because I don't I don't I think that's too early to tell right now.
1: Fair enough. I just I mean I wonder if they spin it that Floyd was scared because Floyd wasn't afraid to fight all these boxers. He wasn't afraid to fight Conor McGregor but somehow he wanted to back out of fighting me. I wonder if they try trying to spin it on that kind of angle. I, I really think this could work for them if they play it right. True, very true. So with that in
0: mind, let's go ahead and um, continue the conversation. And let's move on. Let's talk to talk about the next uh, topic here about the one and only flyweight division, which is in a situation where it looks like it's done and gone. Um, it is no more. We are at a time where, you know, we see Demetrius Johnson get traded to 1FC for uh, Ben Askren, who's now coming over and fighting Robbie Lawler, and we'll talk about that in a minute. And you and I talked about it last week, wondering what does this mean for the rest of the division? Because Henry Cejudo, uh, he wasn't interested in fighting Demetrius Johnson again, as, I mean, anybody should be, should not be. Um, he wanted to go up to 135 and face off against T.J. Dillashaw for his title, even though he's never won a fight at 135 pounds, or at least not in the UFC, excuse me, I don't think he has. So now, starting with Shorty Torres being released from the UFC on Monday, was it? Monday or Tuesday? And Flow Combat released a tweet saying they know that the division is 100% being folded, what are your thoughts about this, man? What was your first reaction to the idea that 125, the men's 125, may go away from the UFC as a, as a whole?
1: I was in shock, man. I, I talked about this last week. I said I didn't understand how anybody, anybody's management would sign um, or, re, or re-up with the UFC so at, this, okay. at this point. I didn't understand the point of it because they haven't made the flyweight division a priority. Uh, there have been talks about closing it years before uh, the fans haven't responded to it and they haven't developed any stars in it. Demetrius is the most consistent guy in there. He's not a star and multiple fighters who've come in would, um, would kind of, you know, with kind of some backing and some attention and some in a resume, they haven't become stars in it either. I didn't, I never really thought the division was going to be around too long. and And I just thought the UFC took it as an afterthought. They never treated it with the respect that it came with. So These guys who are out of jobs, I don't see how they didn't see this coming. I said months ago and years ago, these guys would be trying to get out of their contract ASAP. And everybody said, well, where are they going to go? I was like, it doesn't matter. The UFC is going to close this division. They don't have any faith in it. They're not putting any money into it. They're not trying to get interesting matchups. They're not trying to bring in in big names. They're not trying to push interesting fights. They're just letting it play out. And now you have a bunch of guys who are going to be unemployed if they're not already because – because the division wasn't supported by the organization. And I, like I said before, I still don't understand how their management allowed them to re-up with the UFC or sign with the UFC in a division that really had no future. And I mean, if I could see it and predict this years ago, months ago, years ago, I don't see how people whose business it is to know these things and look out for their clients didn't see this coming. I mean, they were this close to closing it, what, a year and a half ago when Demetrius said, just close the damn division?
0: yeah it was probably about a year ago maybe a little bit more
1: than that so i mean this isn't shocking to me it sucks for the guys a lot of some of them might be here but a lot of them are just going to be out on the side of the road trying to find new jobs so hopefully uh, they can get on with one uh, maybe they can get on with risen i mean they're going to start looking for other opportunities but and i hate to repeat myself but as i, but as I said before there was no way this was this, this wasn't going to happen and i don't see how the fighters and their management did not prepare for this it's, because it was the most obvious thing to me.
0: And I think there's a lot to kind of unpack from there because it's almost like no one's safe. Um, I wrote about this for ratings this past week, and it's like no one is safe. And what kind of determines that is whether or not you can draw ratings. I drew a parallel to... There's multiple pieces to it because I drew a parallel to the women's flyweight division. You know, you have Joanna Janjacek and um, Valentina Shevchenko fighting for the women's 125 title at UFC 231. But there's no telling if that winner is going to be a pay-per-view draw. Between the two of them, they've headlined four events. None of them pay-per-views. Chuan, can you kind of – Can you, I don't know what you're doing over. Can you um, – You're getting a lot of feedback, a lot of static in there. But, yeah, so um, between Shevchenko and and Jacek, they've headlined four different shows, and none of them have been major breakthrough events. The only one was, uh, I think, UFC on, what is the UFC on Foxes, where uh, Joanna, excuse me, where Valentina faced off against Holly Holm. That one broke four million dollars. four million viewers on Fox, but other than that, you know, it's, it's hard to determine if either one of these women will be considered a draw. So does that mean that the whole division should be on watch?
1: I think the UFC wants people who get ratings, who get ratings without them having to do anything. I mean, if they can not, not put any money into you and you can get a couple million, then they're, they're fine with that. It's, they don't just—they just don't want to have to put any more of an effort into you than they ha- than is necessary. Pretty much is, is the way I see it. Luckily for them, they're going to have this ESPN deal coming up soon, which is going to help tremendously with the ratings and with the Q rating of the fighters who are involved in it. I mean, if if they had this ESPN deal before, maybe the Flyweight get a little bit more run than they did Be- because right now it's under the auspices of Fox Sports and Dana White, and neither one of them had much of an investment in the division, standing with some of these women's divisions. But if you see how boxing is kind of piggybacked off the ESPN, I mean, Terrence Crawford isn't a big star by any means, but he's getting career-high paydays getting career-high ratings all because of the access of people having ESPN and ESPN pushing his fights forward. So now the UFC is going to sit back, take the money ESPN is given them, and let ESPN do all the heavy lifting to make these stars. So moving forward, I think a lot of people are going to have an opportunity. But as, as I said earlier in this, when I was making this discussion, they want people who can make money without them having to do anything more than essentially the minimum. Maybe Demetrius Johnson could have been a star, other people could have been stars, but it would require them to do something. They want people who pretty much do it themselves. Conor McGregor made himself a star. Ronda Rousey's management made her a star. The people who were the biggest stars essentially took control of their character and defined themselves and built their brand. All these people who are waiting for the UFC to do it, that's not gonna happen. That's never gonna happen. They might. Put you in spots, but it's really up to you to determine how far you go and how much you resonate with fans. So there's a few different things that you said
0: there. I want to kind of unpack because I mean, I'm not gonna, I, I'm not gonna go down the conversation about what the UFC did for um, Rousey and, and McGregor. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna entertain that again. I'm tired of that conversation. Um, but I think that there should be some concern amongst the people who are fighting in these smaller weight classes because it's almost as if, no matter how good you are, if you are good enough to become a champion, that isn't good enough to maintain your position. If you're not drawing, the UFC will figure out a way to get rid of you. If fans think that you're boring or you're not big enough to be an a, a, a attention-getter or a um, reason to stop and watch, the UFC may not throw their weight behind you. I mean, should the, the women's bantamweight division be uh, concerned with Amanda Nunez as champion? I believe so, because there's no contenders there right now. We don't see anybody pushing their weight to the top. Um, Kat Zangana was probably the last one who could have been mentioned, and she's going to 145. So they're, all, they're really like, what does that weight class do if uh, – regardless of the situation of uh, what Amanda Nunez does against Cyborg at UFC 231. So there's so many different situations where if I'm a fighter in one of these fighters um, with classes, I'm definitely concerned about how the situation plays out for me in the long run.
1: Well, especially for the women's division, I've talked to a couple of uh, coaches who have female fighters. I've talked to a couple people who manage fighters, some actual people who are, who have belts in major organizations or, or highly ranked major organizations. And they say a lot of the times with the women, with, when they have fighters who have opportunities, a lot of it is with this person's age, with this person's appeal. You know, the, the UFC does not want to have to build and direct people. A lot of organizations don't. They want the easy sell. And if I'm a fighter, I have to be concerned because the UFC, MMA isn't a real sport. It's a, it's, for, it's like It's like the wrestling, it's sports entertainment. You can get a title shot if you beat two guys and you seem entertaining enough and you develop enough interest by the fans. If that was the case in NFL, Dallas Cowboys would be in the Super Bowl every year because their ratings are the highest every year. Um, The Lakers would be, you know, the Lakers right now will be guaranteed a trip to the finals based off of fan interest and and consumer ratings. And that's not going to work.
0: You are. You You're breaking up, Sean.
1: Excuse me. In the other sports, it doesn't matter how popular you are. You have to get into positions based off of winning and beating accredited opponents. It's not like that in mixed martial arts. And that's why you have huge star- people come out of nowhere to be stars. And that's why you have people all of a sudden disappear, even though they're on win streaks. Because they're, they benefit and they get hurt by that. It, it's the unbalancing of the sport. It's a lack of legitimacy and rules and standards to it. The ratings mean nothing. Who you beat means nothing. It's really all about how you appeal. And that makes you a victim of circumstance or it can make you the victor because of circumstances. And it's a really slippery slope. And if I'm a fighter, I don't know that I can call this a career that I can build my, my house and my life around because there's no guarantees, because there's no real set rules.
0: Yeah, man, I think that this is going to be an interesting situation to watch in the future. Um, I saw that someone tweeted out, "Well, the flyweights should assign their project spearhead cars." I mean, really, like I, we're at a point now where we cannot feel sorry for these fighters anymore because they're not—they're not doing what's necessary to protect themselves. We've been talking about it time and time again. No one's taking the onus of standing up and kind of. Unionizing and rallying the uh, troops, and they're allowing these situations to happen. So after so long, you can only kind of you can only speak their, speak their praises and cheer them on when in these type of matters for so long. And at this point in time, it's kind of like, well, you guys are getting what you get because you're not willing to band together.
1: Well, let me ask you, you: you used to compete, but and now you you know you work and have a career. Do you ever think some of these fighters should either a keep their day jobs or b? be willing to walk away from the sport to make their to make their stance proven. Because as long as you're depending on the sport to put food on the table, you can only push back so hard. You know, like Ally Quinta doesn't need the sport for money. Therefore, he can push back and say whatever he wants. Other fighters who depend on this to make a living, you know, how do you bite the hand to feed you when you're under contract? It's, it's
0: interesting because it's, it's it's easy to say... It's easy to say that, yeah, they should do something else, they should find another job or have a second job, but we don't know what their skill sets are, man. All of these individuals don't have skill sets. Like we just saw um, the Native American, what, what was her name? Davids is the la- is her last name, Sharice Davids, um, who was elected to uh, the, um, I want to say she was the House of Representatives now, uh, during the midterm elections the other day, but... Her background is she's a lawyer. Like, no one's talking about that. They're talking about her being a lesbian. They're talking about her being an MMA fighter. They're talking about her being a Native American to win that position. But she's actually a lawyer. So she has a background doing X, Y, and Z. So she has something to fall back on. But a lot of these individuals don't. So how can we say, oh, we'll go get a second job where they don't have the skills or the abilities to get a second job? I think that's kind of... um, privileged for us to say because these individuals don't have the opportunity to step out there and do something different.
1: Well, you know, and I I, I agree with that in a large, large part, but it's like, and I and I, I don't know, I've I've known a couple of fighters, and usually when I tell them about regular people or I've told people about, I've talked to them about what, what I do as far as covering fights or helping fighters or, you know, game plans and stuff like that, their first thing is like, well, why do you waste your time doing this if it doesn't make you enough money to pay stuff if it takes so much time why do you commit yourself to this and then when i ask them the same question they seem to get a lot of them get quiet because so they're like you put all this time and money into doing this it doesn't do anything for your family it probably impedes it and i'm like well what would you say about your fighting career you're telling me that you have to live with your parents your wife has to work three jobs so what, what position are you putting yourself in by doing this career like your wife has to work three jobs so you, you can get to a ufc fight and even if you win, most of that money is going to training camps and coaches. So you have, you've you fought and, and put your health at risk, and you're no better off financially. Like, if your wife decides she's sick of it, you're done. You can't even afford to train anymore. And I'm not trying to say that to be act like I'm better than somebody else, but it's like it's a, it's a scary circumstance knowing that your career is in the hands of fans who may like you or may not, whether you're winning or whether you're not, and you're not making life-changing money. You're not making money that would... Have you good for the next six months, much less for the next six years? I mean, if you you, you see where I'm coming from, like it's it's very precarious.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's a difficult situation to be caught up in. Um, last question I'm gonna ask you about this is: Do you expect to see all these flyways picked up by Ryzen or 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 someone else?
1: Honestly, I I don't think a lot of them will be. I mean. I can't imagine one takes a lot of them because a lot of these guys have already been beaten by Demetrius Johnson, so they don't really have any value. Maybe a couple of them do. You know, maybe Sergio Pettis, a couple guys. Uh, Cejudo would have some name value, but he's probably going to stick with the UFC. I don't think a lot of these guys have enough name value nor have been dominant enough in the weight class to justify getting the contract, getting big contracts or getting opportunities. I, I, I figure there's maybe five or seven guys who I think will get fine for sure. Everybody else is going to have to work their way back up through smaller organizations and then see if the UFC will bring them in at a higher weight class. Or That's really the only outlet I see. I don't know any guys who have enough cachet. It's not the other divisions where you have stars, even guys who aren't big successes or stars. The lightweight division doesn't have any stars. It only had one or two dominant fighters, and those two fighters already have jobs. So the rest of them are in a real tough spot in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I would definitely agree with you on that uh the last news bit i wanted to talk about was robbie lawler has been booked to welcome ben askren to the ufc um askren had some interesting words where saying that if, if the ufc wants someone to beat him robbie lawler is the type of guy that could do it uh is saying that that they are hoping for him to lose and lose early what are your thoughts about this man is um is this is that the right not, I'm not gonna say the right attitude to have about this but is that the type of situation that we're looking to see with um Askren, is is Lawler, is Lawler the right type of guy to beat him?
1: Yeah. The, the plus side about it is Lawler, I mean, if Lawler, if Lawler has something left, he, he's a good defensive wrestler. He can create scrambles. He can defend takedowns. And even though he's not as quick or dynamic as he used to be, as everybody knows as a fighter, when, you're, when you've got a big, big punch, that's the last thing to go. So based on what Robbie Lawler has, he should still be capable of, of knocking out any welterweight, he can catch clean with enough shot. Then Askren's never really been hit, not by somebody with Robbie's power, his accuracy, or explosiveness. So it's very likely that if he can control the range, jabs and feints, he can can walk Askren into something. Or if Askren takes a bad shot, as we've seen in some fights where he's hanging on, trying to get an ankle pick or or grab a single leg, Lawler might be able to tee off and knock him out in the transition or, or defending a takedown. So from that instance, it's a very risky fight because Lawler can end the fight with any any strike and he's a good enough athlete and a good enough wrestler that he can, can he can get away and create space where he can land that knockout shot. I mean, it's really one of those fights that's going to go one way or another. Kind of like the Derrick Lewis, Dominic, Dom, excuse me, Daniel Cormier thing, if Derrick Lewis actually had legitimate wrestling chops and had developed them around a fairly high level of, of wrestler. So it, it has that kind of risk and danger to it. The bad part about it is we're not going to get to see Ben Askin kind of shop his, his humor and his wit, which would help sell a fight because, he's as he stated before, he's fighting a guy he likes and respects, So we won't get to see that side of Ben Askin. And it really does seem like the UFC is trying to get him knocked off ASAP to prove their point, but that's what they always do. They did it to Hector Lombard. They did it to Eddie Alvarez. They do it to everybody who they bring from the outside. They send them in with somebody tough to get them beat, and then they let them rebuild themselves if they can.
0: Yeah, I mean that's definitely uh, some strong analysis there. Like, I think that that's headed in the same direction. I would like to see. I I think the most the, the most interesting thing you said is that Lawler is someone that doesn't sell fights, and that's going it's going to be hard for Askren to kind of play that up because he's not going to be yeah. he's yeah. not going to have somebody that will play off play off of him the whole time.
1: Yeah, that Lawler doesn't like to talk. He doesn't give the trash talk. And secondly, if I'm a fan. I don't know how excited I can get about the style matchup because either Lawler's going to wipe him out with strikes fast or Askren's going to just wrestle him and dominate him. It's not not, not a sexy matchup. You you can't really sell it. Askren's not a punishing fighter. Lawler is a punishing fighter, but he's facing a world-class wrestler, so it could be really exciting and really short. It could be really long and really boring. Those kind of fights are really hard to sell to the fans. Like you're, you're leaning on, with Robbie Lawler, you lean on the potential for violence. But he's fighting a guy who's not particularly violent so how do you sell that fight
0: yeah i mean that's a good question there how do you sell that fight uh we'll see though because they're they're planning on it coming up um early next year so we'll have to talk about it then
1: yeah won't be able to get around it i mean congratulations to, to asker and he got what he wanted but i don't know it seems like they're kind of wasting an opportunity by doing it this way but who, what do i know i didn't the billion dollar company. So what do I do? But what you do know is how to
0: break down fights. And I want to look back at fights from this past weekend at UFC 230 where we saw one and only Daniel Cormier become the first person to defend two belts in two divisions when he defeated uh, Derek Lewis via submission in round two, uh, Rear Naked Choke. Uh, what are your thoughts about this fight there? does that Did this outcome surprise you? Uh, was there anything that, that you were expecting to see that, that, that you didn't break down this main event for me, sir? Uh,
1: the fight went pretty much the way I thought it was. There was no way Lewis was going to develop the wrestling necessary to defend takedowns from, from Daniel Cormier. The whole crux of the fight was, was Daniel going to stick to a game plan and fight smart? Because a lot of guys are dominating Lewis with wrestling or dominating with strikes. And then they decide to get cute and that's how they get knocked out uh daniel cormier wasn't trying to give lewis anything he was not trying to give him any opening every any space to work any chance to put him in a bad position he played it close to the vest he out wrestled them and he finished them the most impressive thing to me was how lewis would even with really no wrestling background and no real discipline in a martial art how easy it is for him to get back up daniel cormier is a world class was one of the best wrestlers in the world collegiately and the world, world-class level, nationally, world-class level. And he's one of the best fighters in mixed martial arts. Most guys he takes down don't get up once, much less twice. And Lewis did it with no skill. I mean, I know he didn't win the fight, but it's just beyond impressive to see a guy with, with such a wrestling gap and a, and a caliber gap in skill and talent just physically get somebody like Daniel Cormier and just get up with him on him. Like, just watching that just blew my mind. But um, as far as the fight went, there there was no other way it could go unless Cormier was going to fight extremely stupid, and he's got too much money on the table to take any chances. He wasn't going to get in a firefight with Derrick Lewis. There's there's millions upon millions of dollars on the table. He's not giving that up to put on a show for fans. That's that's not what Daniel Cormier does. That's not the kind of guy he is. So, fight went pretty much the way I'd expected it to, and it was um, it was one-sided. But um, the fear that Derrick Lewis-
0: you're breaking up, front.
1: Excuse me. That one-punch punch knockout power, it made it tense throughout the fight because you're just thinking at any moment he might explode out and land a bomb. But based off technique and strategy, it, it, it just went the way it was supposed to go. There's too big a gap in skill.
0: Yeah, it's pretty interesting because um, you mentioned you talked about how did he just get up. I mean, that's just horsepower that's all that's exactly what it was uh, he didn't have the technical knowledge on how to do it but he definitely had the ability to just be outright horsepower and just sit right up and get the job done and that's exactly what he kept doing time and time again
1: it makes you wonder like if I mean he's a, he's a good athlete he's a natural athlete he's obviously above average but it makes you wonder like if he could do that what would a guy like I know J.J. Watt isn't a fighter but a guy with his athleticism like what, we, what could he do in mixed martial arts if a guy like Derrick Lewis is just throwing people off, what would what would J.J. Watt do? What would LeBron James do? He took him down. Like just throw you off, flick you off with a finger, because the level of athleticism and strength what Derek Lewis has is impressive, but it's nothing compared to what those guys have. And it's the one thing that people who don't you watch you you cover traditional sports so you understand athleticism, not through a mixed martial arts lens. You understand like athleticism, athleticism like Cam Newton, LeBron James, J.J. Watt. So seeing Derek Lewis do these things, it just always makes me wonder if we could ever get that caliber of athlete in the UFC or in mixed martial arts. I guess essentially Greg Hardy. Yeah, what that's what I was going to say. I mean, I don't, I don't like the guy, but if Derek Lewis can do this with no skills, what could a real athlete do, like a real high level athlete do? Yeah,
0: it's definitely going to be pretty interesting to see what happens.
1: Yep, I would agree.
0: So let's um let's talk about what's next here, man. Because do you want to see Daniel Cormier face off against Brock Lesnar or John Jones? John Jones is a, and he are kind of talking about, hey, you know, they've kind of passed each other by and it's not that big of a deal. And then you have the situation with Lesnar signing back with the UFC. And basically, um, excuse me, signing back with the WWE, that's what's being kind of reported across the line because he has been um, booked to be the, the universal champion once again. Do, what fight do you think we see, and when do you think we see it?
1: I probably think, think Lesnar is probably the easier fight to make. Um, I don't even know there's a purpose to Jones. I mean, I know they say drug thing but the fact of the matter is he beat him twice and if he would have beat jones and jones would have popped hot we wouldn't be talking about dc we wouldn't take away dc's win so i mean the fight would be interesting it sells because of the beef between them but if technically speaking it's, it's not really a particularly appealing fight to me if john jones falls off it's not interesting and if john jones is the same guy it's really not interesting to me there's probably the fight that is going to get dc paid but um, I don't know the legal ramifications of him re-signing with WWE. If they can't make something with the next, within the next six months, something definite, I probably could see DC retiring. I mean, what, what else would you fight for? You defended the heavyweight belt. You beat one of the best heavyweights of all time. You're the second best light heavyweight of all time. You're possibly the best mixed martial arts fighter of all time. What's the purpose? Like, go analyze fights, coach your wrestling team, and, and let your personality and your image and the reputation you built from winning all these fights carry you for the rest of the time. There's no other big-money fight for him out there in mixed martial arts, none that's accessible, I guess, unless Bella, unless uh, Fedor wins Bellator heavyweight tournament and then he's out of his contract with Bellator and he comes over the UFC. But if it's not Fedor, John Jones, or Brock Lesnar, who else can he, re- who else can he make real life-changing money fighting? Stipe? No, nah, that's not worth it. Derek Lewis again? That's not going to do anything. I mean, there's no interest in the heavyweight division. It, at it all. Is, it's funny
0: yeah. we talk about flyweight getting cut, but, you know, they have much more talent, much more depth than the entire heavyweight uh, division.
1: Yeah, pretty. I mean, pretty much. I mean, even if Stipe would have beat Daniel Cormier, I mean, Stipe had to go to another weight class to find an interesting fight. So there, there really is no interesting fight. There's no money making fight. And I don't think Daniel Cormier is in the business at his age of fighting just a fight. He's already proven he's tough. He's one of the baddest men alive. He doesn't need to be fighting for a couple hundred thousand, and I don't think he's going to fight for a couple hundred thousand. I think if something is indefinite in the next four to six months, I think that's last we see of him, and he he goes into retirement.
0: Yeah, I definitely think that retirement is the best bet for him too, as well. Uh, Let's move down the rest of the card where we got a a co-main event where we saw that Jacare knocked uh, Chris Weidman smooth out. It was a man. It was it was bad. But even before then, Wyman was looking good. I mean, he was looking good with his jab, looking good with his um, movement, just just looking good all around. And then he just gets cracked overhand um, right in the top of the head and he goes down. And I mean, he's like super out where people were calling it just a bad finish and a bad stoppage by the referee all in all. What were your thoughts on on this fight here? And let's kind of go into some analysis for both men.
1: Yeah, I, Chris Weidman's not a bad fighter, but the thing about Chris Weidman on his time coming up, he came up, he had the right build and he came up with the right strategy that exploited the holes in the game of the people he was fighting. Because basically he fights, he fights really long. He pressures you, throwing in a variety of strikes, throwing a high volume of strikes that forces you back. It forces you to work because he's he's hitting you at a range you're usually safe at, and he's pushing you back. And guys don't have the footwork to the footwork to get away from him. They're not comfortable fighting off the back foot, so they can't dissuade him. They can't throw a counter shot because he's throwing too much volume. So you might land one or two, but he's landed five, six, or seven. And every time you land one or two, you're giving him the chance to get his hands on you, force you up against the cage, dirty box you, makes you fight for ta- defend takedown, it ex- wears you out, takes some of the sting off your punches, eventually gets you down and chokes you out and just beats you within an inch of your life. It's a very specific, very smart very disciplined style, but it's all based on the two things. One, him being able to go forward, him not being pushed back, and two, you not being able to counter or you not being able to fight off the back foot. When he fought Luke Rockhold, Luke Rockhold could fight off the back foot. And fighting Jacare, he fought a guy who was durable enough to stand up to what he was doing and could counter him repeatedly. And what Jacare kept doing was dig into the body. And Weidman's team, to me, they're not super technical. They're very smart guys. They're very good at coming up with schemes. So they have a scheme, and if the scheme works, they'll run you over with it if you can't make an adjustment. But if you have something that works against them, they don't really ever really counter it. They don't really know how to. Jacare's, I believe Jacare's body, shot, his body shots consistently were what took away Weidman's gas, took away his energy, and set him up to be counter big over the top. Because he was getting hit with it. They were asking if it hurt him. He's like, no, nah, it's not hurting me. Body shots don't necessarily have to hurt you. They take the energy from your legs. They take the explosiveness from your arms. They take your air from you. And once that goes, the ability to recover and stand up to shot goes away. And he knew he was getting hit with it, and he never tried to counter it, and he never tried to get away from it. He just constantly was walking into this shot. And that's basically what set the table for the knockout. He fought a good fight, but if you watch all his fights, he always fights a good fight. He always has a plan A, and that's why he starts out so well and so fast, but once the guy makes a read or figures out what he's doing and makes an adjustment, he has no ability to make a counter adjustment to that to counter whatever that guy's doing. That's why he did what Yoel Romero kept going with the takedown until really he ran into Yoel got his timing, knocked him out. He did the same thing with Musasi, taking him down, but Musasi just kept getting back up, wearing him down until he could land strikes, defend the takedown, and then punish him. And um, it just this is what showed up again. Great plan A winning the fight, but eventually he, he had no answer for what Jacare was trying to do to him. He was just going to try to overwhelm him, and it it, it didn't work. And eventually, Doc, Jacare just closed the show on him. It was a really good performance, but yet again, it's another stoppage loss, which makes you wonder, what you do with him or where he goes at this stage?
0: Oh, man, it's hard, because for Jacare, you know, he loses to the super elite. He's lost to um he lost to
1: Whitaker. Whitaker and a lost to Gastellum.
0: Right? And he's beating everybody else. He's beating Giggles. He so to Whitaker,
1: too, right? Whitaker knocked him out?
0: Yeah, Wh- uh, Whitaker knocked him out with a head kick. And Gastellum, he lost a split decision against. So it's like, what do you do with this guy? Like, where do you put him next? And now it's kind of like he just kind of sits there because he doesn't want to go to 205. I think he kind of fights it out and just hangs around as the ultimate gatekeeper. Maybe he gets an opportunity if somebody gets hurt last minute. I can see that happening. But I don't know if you can really put him in, in a position to get there.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard, it's going to be hard to justify putting him in any sort of title eliminator, even by accident, because he's gotten beat by all the elite guys. Romero, well, Musashi's gone now, but Romero and um, who else did he lose to? Rock holes. Now he lost to Jacare, and he lost all by stoppage. And it, was, it wasn't it was like a bad stoppage, like the ref jumped in too quick. It's like the ref steps in and saved your life kind of stoppage. So it's, it's hard to justify him being in a position. Like he's in a position now where he's going to have to fight his way back up. He's going to have to fight, face the number 13th ranked middleweight and beat him and then face the number ten or 9th ranked middleweight and beat him. He's, he's got two or three fights away from legitimate title contention right now. The only thing is he's got such a big name that it's gonna be hard to put him in against guys who aren't also comparable big names. But all the big names who he could fight are very, very, have already beaten them or very capable of beating him. So he's in a a really precarious spot right now as far as his career goes. And I'm not quite sure what he does. Light heavyweight thin, but once again, they got a couple guys who are athletic and hit hard. Does Does he hold up any better that weight class? I used to think so, but I don't know anymore.
0: Like, that's a good question, man. I don't know anymore, um, and I don't know what you do with them next. I don't know. Like he's in a he's in a perplexing situation here that I just don't think that. But it's hard because I think he's in a position where a lot of people are talking about him moving up to uh, two hundred five, which okay, I could see that. I, I see that happening, but he, how? Where does he compete with? How does it compete with that group there? So there's still going to be a lot of questions on either on either one of these guys because they're in a position where they're not the upper, they're not the, the highest echelon of a uh, competitor in any one of these two weight classes. So it really is hard to kind of see what you do with, what, to do with them.
1: If he stays in middleweight, I I have two fights that I think work for him. You could have Chris Weidman fight Derek Brunson, or you could have him fight David Branch. I think those are two winnable fights for him.
0: Well, speaking of David Branch, you know, he got finished by Jared Cannonier, who stepped in last minute. What are your thoughts about that fight there? And is this something that you can kind of, is this a jumping start point for um, Cannoneer? Do you see him kind of becoming someone that's more than a fringe contender? You know, he was having a hard time at 205, gets down to, middleweight, and he has a huge win here uh, last minute. So is this something that we can see kind of continuing? Is I he someone middle, that breaks through the pack?
1: I think a middleweight with his, his size and athleticism make a lot of a lot of difference. His problem with light heavyweight wasn't that he wasn't good. He didn't have enough seasoning. As we've spoken about before, they don't have enough guys in that division to develop a fighter. You win one or two fights, and then they throw you in with a guy who's a 15, 16-fight veteran who's fought for a world title and faced all the best fighters in the world. There's no slow ascension where you can get your seasoning, you can get your bearings, you can round out your game. Middleweight is kind of like that, but it's it's a little bit more spread out. The guys have a little bit more vulnerability. And when he fought David Branch, he's fighting a guy who's not very durable, who's not a punishing striker, and who's a good grappler and a good wrestler, but not once again, not a dynamic finisher or wrestled takedown machine at the highest levels i really did not want david branch to take this fight i thought it was a risky fight i thought it was a bad fight to take and um i was really worried that this fight would go the way that it went and my fears were brought to fruition he he got he was competitive for a bit and then he just got destroyed and um that's i mean he's had some really brutal finishing fights and it was against a guy with no name value this doesn't do anything getting Wiped off the floor by Robert Whitaker, that's okay. Getting beat like that by Israel Adesanya, that's one thing. But getting beat like that by Jared Cannonier, a guy who's not a household name and a guy who's been on the wrong end of some decisive and embarrassing losses, it doesn't do anything to help you at all. And um, I'm really concerned. I I, I think Branch is going to be close to getting cut from the UFC. And I don't think his management should let him take this fight. Even if he wanted to, I think they should have said, we'll just wait for our original opponent." This was too risky a fight for me, for, given his skill set, and fighting a guy who's that much bigger and that much better of an athlete.
0: Yeah, I definitely think it um, it messed up his momentum because a lot of people kind of overlooked David Branch for years, um, ever since uh, Gerald Harris put him, put him on his ass. But that was an opportunity for him to kind of get back into – who was he originally supposed to fight? Uh, he was supposed to fight Sosa because Rocco was supposed to fight – uh, Weidman,
1: that's what happened Yep I mean, like I said, that like you got you need the money I guess, and you want to be on the UFC's good side, but the UFC doesn't look at it as you doing them a favor, they look at it as you doing your job, and it just was a risky fight, it just was not a fight I would have signed off for, like if I would have known him, been in this circle he said, should I take this fight? Hell no for what? What does beating Jared Cannonier do for you? Nothing, what does losing to Jared Cannonier do for you? Set you back two, three, four fights in division. You can't afford to, to lose to this kind of guy. You can't afford to look bad against this kind of guy. And he did both things. And it just, it, 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 if you're looking at it from a fight perspective, it shows that he has a problem with guys who are athletic and dynamic. Luke, Luke Rockhold had him on skates, couldn't finish, and, and Rockhold beat the brakes off him. He was, in a, he was competitive with Kananir for early, and then Kananir just wiped him off the face of the planet. So now you have concerns. The book's kind of written on him, and um, it just, it's just—it's just not a good—it's just not a good look. I, I admire him for being a warrior and a professional, but as far as a career, this was not a good business decision, in my opinion.
0: Uh, was it Was not That was definitely a, um,
1: a tough loss
0: for him to take there at at this point in time.
1: Yep. So a, a necessary loss. he didn't have to take it. There's a reason why you can turn down fights. I know people don't like to say that because. Makes you look scared, but this is a business. This isn't your hobby. This isn't for your ego. This is to pay bills and to get you further along in your career. You make business decisions. You don't just do to prove a point. You're a professional fighter. You don't have to prove to me that you're tough. You fight for a living. All you have to say. So Let's talk about another
0: fight that was an important bout that kind of went down the wrong way with uh, Sajara Eubanks and Roxanne Matafore This was supposed to be Eubanks coming out opportunity But as we talked about it extensively she missed weight and that blew up the whole uh, situation there and she ended up being on the outside looking in She won the fight I mean she won it basically you know the way we thought she was going to win it the same way she won it the first time around when she beat modafari so what's next for her do we even do we care right now are the people going to be willing to turn in tune in and see eubanks or does she have something more to prove seeing how she missed weight here
1: well the funny thing about it is she said she does not care about the fans but her her reactions in the cage were what we're trying to explain things away. Like what I'd heard, seen her say on Twitter and social media was different than what she said when the camera was on her. About you know the Joe Rogan thing and the fans, We kind of backed off of some of those statements. I was a little concerned about her statement saying that I'm a woman and that's why this happened. I'm not a woman, so far be it for me to tell tell women about their bodies. But with the whole thing about being equal and presenting ourselves as just fighters, not female fighters. I don't know that that explanation does you a lot of justice depending on how it's taken um i don't know that she can make the division to be quite honest and my concerns for her at bantamweight is a lot of her success is like jessica Andrade. jessica Andrade was explosive enough and strong enough where she could manhandle weight and hurt them but she wasn't big enough or durable enough where she could she could pitch but she couldn't catch Dara Eubanks is similar. She's already lost to Aston Ladd. Aston Ladd like, beat her senseless. So I don't know that she has the size or the physicality to dominate abandon weight. And a lot of how she fights is based off of her having a size physicality advantage. That's her advantage at weight. And you saw the fight with Mata Ferry. I actually, I've actually had a couple coaches call me because they thought they might fight her. And they wanted a scouting report. And I made a huge long scouting report, broke it down to sections, all this stuff. And everything I said in that scouting report happened in the fight. And every hole I mentioned happened in that fight. Like I had people tweeting me and texting me about how, like, do I know somebody in her camp? How am I calling her like this? But she's, she's a smart fighter, but she's late in the game and she's kind of limited. And without those physical advantages, she's not great. I mean, imagine if Roxy had half her athleticism. She would have beat her and she would have beat her easily. But she doesn't have her athleticism. Most girls that fly weight don't. And that's the difference. That's what allows her to fight in spots and break girls down because she does so much damage in these spots but even though she's outworked for large periods of time those big spots she has win rounds for her but defensively she's not great um, offensively i love her body work i love the fact that she has good timing she's aggressive counterpuncher but she's not a very balanced striker she's got terrible defense um her wrestling isn't spectacular her defensive wrestling isn't great and her even though she's a world champion jujitsu person uh her work off her back that i've seen hasn't been anything to write about. so in away, i don't know but he doesn't to be Why you're Why breaking wait? up a little bit and a lot of people are saying you're we're being too hard on her but she already missed the title fight because of her body breaking down and then she missed weight again she's only made weight once as a professional in this division and i i don't want to see her fail She seems like a good person she's got a kid she's got a family but when is enough enough? You know, I mean, when is enough enough? You missed the title shot, threw everything out of whack there, made one weight one, and then you complained about a title shot, and you miss weight. What if she would have the title shot? That would have been two title shots. You That's hard to justify. Better. What's the Breaking up a little bit, Swan. Fix it.
0: Right. yeah, that would have been a, a that would have been a championship fight. I mean, she would have been. Shevchenko would have been screwed out again because here she is with another opponent forced out because they missed weight.
1: Yeah, and how would you spin it? How would she spin that after talking all that stuff? I mean, that's the biggest thing. She, she dug a hole for herself by criticizing Nico for not being a professional, even though she missed out on the title because she was a professional. It's just she's human, so you, make it, you have to understand that people have limits, people make mistakes, but you don't have to compound your problems. And she compounded her problems by not making weight again and by be complaining very loudly about Nico and other girls and what she deserved. And then she didn't follow through on her end. Um, I'm kind of concerned for her. I don't, I don't know what weight class she's going to fight at, and I don't think she's very effective at Bantamweight. Um, I hope she can make the flyweight division, because outside of it, I don't think she has much of a career at the highest level, in my opinion. It's flyweight or bust for her, in my opinion. She's not a good enough all-around fighter at this stage, why the bantamweight be effective?
0: Do you think they asked Do you think they eventually give her an opportunity or no?
1: I mean, if she misses, I mean, if, what I've seen from Dana, she misses weight one more time. She might not have a choice.
0: Okay. I mean,
1: that's what, what happened to Kelvin and, and Johnny Hendricks. They got forced to move up. They didn't have a choice. They were forced to.
0: That's true. That's very true. What else did you take from USC two thirty?
1: Um. I was really the Derek Brunson fight was really short that a lot of people were very impressed with Adesanya. I was a little bit let down by Derek Brunson. Um, I don't know what his new camp is doing, but they don't seem to have any sort of awareness and they don't seem to have any sort of understanding of the kind of fighter he is because he had the worst possible game plan. And he had no ability to deal with anything that Adesanya came to the table with. It's like he didn't even know he was fighting him. He fought him like he was fighting an average kickboxer who couldn't wrestle. And his whole game plan was built around the concept that I'm a a high-level wrestler, and if I get my hands on this guy and get him in certain positions, I'm going to dominate. And when you fight from that, when you train and fight from that position, it's the worst thing to do ever because the minute you can't dominate in the positions you want to, it's over for you. Mentally, you break. So when he couldn't get those takedowns and he was deep in and had body locks, the minute Adesanya got away, it was over. The fight was done, in my opinion. He didn't have any get backup plan because he guaranteed, in his mind, he was focused on getting his hands on him and dominating. And when that didn't happen, he had nothing else going for him. It was essentially over. And Adesanya could have done whatever he wanted to him. And I don't understand how at that level of fighting, you don't have some kind of backup plan or you don't have more layers to get to the stre- the area of strength that you have. His approach was very obvious. It was very basic. And he just served himself up to be highlight reel KO. So I was I was very disappointed. It was a very important fight for him, and he just did not show up for it. And he turned Adesanya into an overnight star.
0: Yeah, he definitely did because um, I forgot. I realized I didn't put that fight down on our recap uh, schedule. But yeah, he definitely got he got embarrassed. Um, and Adesanya looked fantastic from start to finish. Uh, There wasn't, there's there's nothing really to kind of pick up from there. And then when he was interviewed on the Luke Thomas show a couple days later, he continued to excel. So there really isn't anything to say other than he went out there and he did what he was supposed to do.
1: Isn't it, isn't it funny how, how many guys have turned into stars off of fighting Derrick Brunson, Robert Whitaker, Yo Romero, now Israel Adesanya. I mean, they basically put themselves back on the map. By wiping – Jocker Ray knocked him out and put himself yeah, back as on the map.
0: Yeah, Sosa too. Sosa knocked him out twice.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, it it's just weird to me that he's lost in a similar fashion and he's had no understanding of why he's losing and he's made no attempt to change his approach or add layers to his approach to be more effective. It, it, that's the thing that shocked me when we were talking about the preview. He keeps talking about his wrestling – um, Derek Brunson hasn't been a res- hasn't wrestled a hard three rounds in his entire career, and he hasn't been a great offensive wrestler for the past two years. Like, and the, but he said his he's going to dominate with wrestling, and I'm like, based off of what? Like, you don't have the durability to do this game plan, nor do you have the wrestling to do this game plan. Why well, was an all-American, yeah, that was a long time ago. You haven't been an all-American in the cage. It, it's just like he has no sense of what he's doing, given how many fights he's had. He should fight smarter. He should have some more tricks in his bag. He Should be better better prepared, but he fought like a guy who was in his second or third fight in the UFC, not like a guy who's been in what his seventh, eighth, maybe tenth fight in the UFC. It's got to be 10 or 11 now.
0: Yeah, he was in um strike, uh, strike force before that.
1: Yeah, he, he's fought on the big stage before, he's fought world class opponents, and it just seems like he's progressively gotten worse. Against he before, he could last a couple rounds first, he could win, then he could last a couple rounds. Now he's just getting iced in a round, and every time it's It's easier and easier for a world-class opponent to wipe the floor with them, And it's not supposed to work that way, not at his age, but he's regressed really badly and he needs to find a better camp. The guys he's got with him aren't preparing him at all. I mean, like, he could have just gave me a call and I would have come up with something better than what he had. Like, I'm I'm dead serious. I could have come up with something better than that.
0: I mean, it was definitely a a tough fight for him to lose and lose in that fashion. Um, So... What else I want to say? That's all that. That's all we wanted to talk about this week, man. We went down a whole lot um, from everything that happened at UFC to thirty. Uh, let everybody know what you're working on.
1: Uh, I'm am st- I'm st- I got a couple of things in the fire. I kind of start and then I back off them. So I, right now I'm just I'm just I'm doing a lot of writing and I'm just got a bunch of ideas out and I'm gonna start cutting them down and focusing in on, on some key things, but. So much stuff is going on, it's really hard to kinda keep track and focus because it's always it's always some dramatic event nowadays in mixed martial arts. I don't know what what I'm gonna wake up to tomorrow. Maybe Dana White will retire and uh I don't know, Matt Hughes will be running the UC. Who knows? It just the sport just doesn't make any sense. Not in the cage, not outside the cage, not the way to run it. It just makes no sense whatsoever to me.
0: Yeah, man, there's always something. There's always going to be something. But let everybody know where they, where they find us and where to subscribe to our content for every, uh, every week.
1: You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and FM Player. Um, always, we appreciate you subscribing and share with any um, friends you have who are fans of mixed martial arts. Um, and like I said, the numbers have been being consistent. They're going up little by little every week. We appreciate you paying attention. We appreciate your support, and we'll continue bringing you top-notch content.
0: Exactly, everyone. You can find me at underscore Sports on Twitter, and we're always here to kind of give you the best breakdowns and best rundowns each and every week. And we got a lot of content that comes up on a weekly basis. Got a new writer that's on the blog as well, so be sure to go to mmaratings.net, rate the fights. Let us know what you think about our content there, and also follow us at Net on Instagram and uh, Twitter.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. One more thing. Go ahead. I wanted to thank all the fans for the a record-breaking uh, interview with Mike Russell. That was the most watched show we've had on either platform. Thank you very much for supporting it. And uh, we're going to definitely get you more stuff like that coming in the near future.
0: Exactly. Definitely in the near future, guys. And with that in mind, let's go ahead and close it out. And Everyone have a great week.
1: Yeah, have a great weekend, man.